0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website and give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also, by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Shulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're talking about current world events. We'll also visit with Brad Palumbo, he's a policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. And we'll visit with our U.S. Senator, uh, Rick Scott. Uh, We'll be talking about some of the things that are going on on Capitol Hill. It is August the 2nd, uh, celebrating 10 years of doing this show on the Internet. Time just flies. We started the show on August 1st in 2011. Also on this day in 1945, the last wartime conference of the Big Three, the Soviet Union, the United States, and Great Britain, concluded after two weeks of intense and sometimes acrimonious debate, The conference failed to settle most of the important issues at hand and thus helped set the stage for the Cold War that would begin shortly after World War II came to an end. The meeting at Potsdam was a third conference between the leaders of the Big Three Nations. The Soviet Union was represented by Joseph Stalin, Britain by Winston Churchill, and the United States by President Harry S. Truman. This was Truman's first Big Three meeting. Roosevelt, who died in April 1945, attended the first two conferences, but not the last. At the Potsdam meeting, the most pressing issue was the post-war fate of Germany. The Soviets wanted to unify Germany, but they also insisted that Germany be completely disarmed. Truman, along with a growing number of U.S. officials, had deep suspicions about the Soviet intentions in Europe. The massive Soviet army already occupied much of Eastern Europe. A strong Germany might be the only obstacle in the way of Soviet domination of all of Europe. In the end, the Big Three agreed to divide Germany into three zones of occupation, one for each nation and to defer discussions of German reunification until a later date. The other notable issue that Potsdam was uh, was virtually unspoken, just as he had arrived before the conference, Truman was informed that the United States had successfully tested the first atomic bomb. Hoping to use the weapon as leverage with the Soviets in post-World War, Truman casually mentioned to Stalin that America was now in possession of a weapon of monstrously destructive force. The President was disappointed when the Soviet leader merely responded that he hoped that the United States would use it to bring the war with Japan to a speedy end. The Potsdam Conference ended on a sober note, by the time it was over, Truman had become even more convinced that he had to adopt a tough policy towards the Soviets. Stalin had come to believe more strongly than the United States and Great Britain were conspiring against the Soviet Union. As for Churchill, he was not present for the closing ceremonies, his party lost in the election in England and he was replaced midway through the conference by the new Prime Minister, Clement Attlee. Potsdam was the last post-war conference of the Big Three on this day, 1945. Well, if the United States votes this week on the bipartisan so-called infrastructure bill, it will be hu- it would be humanly impossible for any United States senator to read the, uh, before voting on it. The text of the draft of the bill obtained exclusively by Breitbart News When the U.S. Senate source is not authorized to leak it, shows the plan is 2,701 pages long. The text shows the plan is far more sprawling and expansive than GOP senators who backed the advancing it without text even existing, led their constituents to believe. Sources familiar with the drafting of the bill told Breitbart News it was being written in secret for months outside the normal legislative process, which is supposed to happen in the relevant committees of jurisdiction. So. This this is how we make sausage, right? Bipartisan infrastructure bill contains many provisions that would be aimed to revitalize America's roads, bridges and highways, as well as climate change carve outs, including funding for zero emission vehicles. For example, the bill contains a large carve out for Alaska Highway that would likely benefit Senator Louisa Murkowski. I mean, there's so much more pork in it as well. I think every uh, Republican that participated in the process <clears throat> Of the bipartisan bill, probably had some sort of a road or built something built in their state. There's all kinds of things in there about energy, about uh, carbon taxes. Uh, we're not going to go through all this right now because uh, ultimately we'll be talking about the bill when it passes. Hopefully, uh, the when the uh, Republican senators find out what's in here, they'll uh, they'll uh, become obstreperous and uh, make the process difficult. Well, the Delta variant driven summer COVID 19 surge in the United States has so far proved much, much less deadly than previous waves, thanks in large part to vaccinations. The number of cases approaching the levels seen in previous surges, the seven day average of daily cases has risen as high as 66,000, close to the peak of 68,000 seen during the summer surge of 2020. Yet hospitalizations have been much lower. Daily hospitalizations have hit 31,148 at the highest far below the 58,000, for instance, in the spring of 2020. Likely, daily deaths have uh, so far reached the high of 296, only about a tenth of the peak during the winter. So the virus seems to be more contagious, but perhaps much less virulent. Roughly three-quarters of the people who became infected with COVID-19 during a recent outbreak in Massachusetts were already vaccinated against the virus, according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and that was released on Friday. The CDC Morbidity and Mortality Re- Weekly Report shows that 74%, 74% of 469 infected in the outbreak, which were likely to be to the popular tourist location Provincetown in Cape Cod, were fully vaccinated before they became ill, and of those who were vaccinated and contracted to COVID-19, 274 displayed symptoms with four requiring hospitalization. The Delta variant was identified in 90% of the specimens taken from 133 patients. The report also states that the data is insufficient for any conclusions to be made about COVID 19 vaccines or their effectiveness against the Delta variant. I was told there's not a test to test for uh, uh, the Delta variant. I've also heard it's conflicting information for sure, but maybe there's a test after the test to do that. I'm not sure. But in any event, uh, It just makes me wonder what's going on. This finding is concerning and will be a pivotal discovery leading the CDC's updated mask recommendation. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said in a statement, the masking recommendation was updated to ensure the vaccinated public would not unknowingly transmit the virus to others, including their unvaccinated or immunocompromised loved ones. Uh, Another doctor, assistant professor of medicine at Boston University of Medicine, told the Globe, uh, Boston Globe on Friday that with other variants, we had evidence that the vaccination, vaccination could prevent transmission. Therefore, it is possible that findings in the Provincetown cluster might be explained by the presence of a more contagious variant that can be transmitted by vaccinated individuals who are se- spending a considerable time indoors. Think about that statement. Why would you be spending a considerable amount of time indoors in the beginning of August or the end of July? In Provincetown, Massachusetts. In any event, uh, this uh, 74% of people that got the uh, got COVID had already been vaccinated. Interesting. By the way, the PCR test long hailed as the gold standard in detecting SARS COVID-2 cases will be dropped by the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention at the beginning of next year. Now, why wh- we're waiting until the end of next year, beginning of next year, I have no idea. But uh, apparently, this chain reaction test have been a mainstay of the U.S. and global response to COVID-19 since early in 2020. But health officials have warned the diagnostic tool poses a risk of fa- false positive results. The test works by amplifying a biological sample through successive cycles until a virus, if it's present in the assay, Can be detected by the testing machine. The CDC announced this month that it would be withdrawing its request for the Food and Drug Administration for the emergency use or authorization of the test. The agency urged laboratories to begin their transition to another FDA authorized COVID 19 test. Makes me wonder, of course, uh, Bill Gates and uh, uh, Bill Gates just purchased uh, a A company that makes COVID-19 tests, along with George Soros, you start to connect the dots. Kind of interesting. So in any event, uh, this test is being withdrawn. Don't know why they're waiting until the beginning of the year to do it. If they know the test doesn't work now, maybe it's because they have a huge supply on hand. And an estimated 1.95 million U.S. renter households owed. Over 15.3 billion dollars in back rent when the federal eviction moratorium expired, that happened this last Saturday, according to a new report. The number of renter households in debt is expected to reach two million by December. The Federal Reserve Bank for Philadelphia said in the report, those households by then will be collectively owing 1.8 18.6 billion dollars, with an average debt of nine thousand three hundred dollars. That's a lot of tamales. The state with the largest estimated number of households behind in the rent in August is California, followed by Texas, Florida is third, and then New York. California is is also estimated to owe the largest amount of rent, $3.54 billion, which is greater than the combined rent of the next two states, Florida and uh, New York. Uh, Not good news. and uh, They should have never got involved in this more. Each landlord could work it out. Uh, with their renters, and uh, now uh, the federal government, in its wisdom, has created a huge problem, which could probably lead to a lot of evictions, which would be so sad. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest-established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more, right here on The Bob Harden Show and The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show, here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Senator Rick Scott, our U.S. Senator. Right now we have with us Mark Shulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. A website, a multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, and it includes you and me, uh, historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hello, Mark. Hi, how are you? Oh, good, Mark. <laughs> Fine, thank you. How are you doing? So, for the last, okay. for the last uh, month or two, we've been, or year maybe, we've been talking, starting our segment, uh, talking about global events with COVID 19. What are your thoughts at this point?
2: Well, at this point, that we you know things are very different in different countries at the moment. The Delta variant um, is coming back in a lot of countries that thought they had beaten it. Uh, one of them where I am now, Israel, thought it had completely beaten COVID, and now it's back with a couple thousand cases a day. And what Israel seems to have learned was that the people who were given the shots the earliest, after six months, it seems the effectiveness seems to uh, decrease to some. Some are a greater extent, and no one knows for sure. So Israel began giving out uh, boosters to anyone who is 60 years and older and who had received the shot, the second shot more than five months ago. Uh, Britain announced that they're going to follow suit, it looks like, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so there's clearly the issue that after a certain amount of time, the vaccines are less effective. And then, of course, so much of the world has gotten no vaccine. In those places, the Delta variant seems to be many times as transmittable and also seems to be more lethal. And so that's, you know, really, really a problem in so much of the world that has not been vaccinated and parts of the world that really weren't being hit by COVID until now are suddenly finding themselves in trouble like places like Vietnam and Cambodia and Thailand. Um, And it's not quite clear what's going on in China right now, actually, as well. Hmm. And of course, we've seen what's going on in Tokyo with the surrounding the Olympics with So many of the Japanese opposing the fact that it's even taking place. So, um, you know, this is something that we just we, you know, as I said to a friend the other day, we thought we understood the world, and maybe we'd understand it just a little bit less than we thought.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, there is conflicting information. I had I had read that it is much more contagious, but less virulent. And uh, proof of that would be that the number of hospitalizations, while the cases are up, the number of hospitalizations is not up like it was last summer.
2: Well, that's because the people who are vaccinated <clears throat> seem to, while they can get infected, they are not getting as sick. In other words, that seems to be the big difference when you look look at the statistics. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that none of them who have been vaccinated are getting very sick, but a much lower percentage of them are getting sick. So when you're in a country... Like the United States, we're at about fifty percent uh, vaccination rate, and of course it varies from state to state. that impacts the number of number of hospitalizations by a great deal um but it from from what from what is known at the moment is it seems to be a little bit more deadly, but again you know it's it's so hard to know um and it is spreading very quickly you yeah. know, that, and that really is. Is the issue? Everyone thought it was all behind us in so many different parts of the country. Don't so many parts of the world. Yeah. Um, on the o- on the other hand, in some cases, it seems to have burned out a little bit. The numbers are down both in India and in Great Britain. Um, not that they've gone to zero or anything close to zero, but they've they've gone down from their peaks by about fifty uh, percent. Right. So,
1: and and in addition to that, that, the people are protesting against lockdowns and masking it up and so forth, and all around the world. Uh, it's, it's people are just sick and tired of uh, of uh, of uh, these uh, limitations on their lives.
2: Yeah, well, people are sick and tired of wars too, and they've had to go through it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sympathetic on one hand that we're sick and tired of it. On the other hand, you know, uh, go speak to whoever sent us COVID. You know, I mean, whether it's the Chinese, or God, or whatever it is, whatever you believe it came from, the reality is that it is what it is. It is dangerous. And, you know, in some parts of the country, in some parts of the world, the hospitals are being overwhelmed again. So, you know, restrictions, certainly masks, are such a simple thing. I mean, it's a pain in the neck, quite honestly, to wear a mask. It's a, you know, there's so many negatives, but it's really a small thing compared to what we've asked people to do in the past. Or We've asked people to go to war, to, you know, to, to, to give your life for your country to wear a mask. Cause that's such a big deal. Yeah, you know, I, I do get my, that part of it. It's a, it's a pain my... in the neck, I understand that, but, you know. He's,
1: Life is. Yeah, cloth masks really don't provide any protection at all. It's just a, a courtesy, I guess, for people to think that it's providing. Uh, apparently, in, uh, my friend just returned from, and his wife returned from Greece. They had to wear, is it N95 masks? Some special mask that. Uh, but
2: the N95 is a surgical level mask, and uh, a lot of people wear it. And N95, uh, the, the 85, I think, is also reasonably good. Well, cloth is, no, is, is useless. That's absolutely true. But the masks that are being sold that are medical masks, look, the masks are not, it's good, not something that really protects you from COVID. It protects you from spreading COVID. And one of the problems with the Delta and people vaccinated, for instance, is the fact that people who are vaccinated seem to get COVID. They don't even know they have COVID. But they can spread COVID, yeah. And then if they give it, if they spread it to someone who's not vaccinated, then they can get very, very sick.
1: Well, we we so, do know. We uh, to your point uh, earlier, you said that uh, the cases started to go down in Indy, So maybe this thing will spike and leave us soon. What we can only hope so.
2: We can hope so, or well, we can hope. We'll certainly pray that that we don't get the the G variant or the E variant or some other terrible thing. So
1: yeah, yeah. Interesting. You
2: no, know, it's. We thought we had things under control, and things are a little bit better, but but they're not under control, unfortunately. I'm I'm not even talking about the United States, I'm about the whole world at this point.
1: Right. So let's move to other world news, and uh, Iran is up to its mischief again. <laughs>
2: Very much so. So they used a um, remote uh, an RP remote piloted plane to attack a ship. The the ownership was partially Israeli. It was under I forgot which country's flag um, it was the captain of the ship was a Romanian, the security officer was British, and what differed this time is they shot at the bridge and they killed the captain and and the British security officer. Now uh, the level of violation of international this the ship was in international waters. Um, you know this is a, such a clear violation of all that international law and international naval law. Um, and so both the United States and Great Britain and Israel have um, said they all have proof that it was the Iranians. The Iranians are sort of claiming, on one hand, they didn't do it. On the other hand, it's a retaliation for some Israeli attack in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, so the United States has made it clear that, um, they, that there will be some sort of a response. It's not quite clear who's going to be responding, whether it's the United States, Great Britain, Israel, or whoever it may be. Um, but clearly, um, the Iranian action violates all norms of international, uh, international law. And, um, you know, one of the things the United States has been since World War II, it has been the the power that has ensured the fact that the naval lanes of the world have remained open and free. And I don't think we're ready to give up that role because no one else can, you know, no one else in the world has a Navy that can possibly do that.
1: Right. And it's an important role, for sure, uh, even though we still have pirates around Africa and different places. But uh, for the most part, uh, travel and and, uh, trade is uh, enhanced by free and open uh, seas. So uh, I found it interesting that the leader of Iran, or the former leader of Iran, just uh, said that, you know, hey, we we sometimes don't always tell the truth.
2: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That was an interesting comment for him to make on his way out the door. (laughs) Um, And that's very much the case, obviously. Um, you know the question one of the other big issues right now is it's while it's not a sure thing it's looking more and more likely we're not going to be able to get the Iranians to rejoin the the nuclear agreement, whether you like it or not um the um the reality is um you the United world is in a much worse place right now because Iran is 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 closer to a nuclear bomb than they've ever been before. And it's not clear what anyone's going to do about that also.
1: Yeah. You know, I know the Iranians were working with North Koreans also in the development of some of these things. Is, is that still going on?
2: I'm sure it is. We don't really know too much about that, but clearly it is going on. There is certainly, in terms of information and technology, there's an exchange between the two. Um, so, look, it's, it's not good. No, it's not. Um, remo- you know, leaving the agreement, back when we left the agreement, I thought at the time was a mistake. Not that the agreement was perfect, but we didn't have Plan B, and um, so right now the Iranians are moving forward. Uh, they're still under economic sanctions, but they don't seem to care.
1: Yeah, let's move to uh, what's going on in Afghanistan.
2: So in Afghanistan, we started to taking out some of the um, the first groups of people who work with us, some of the translators, etc. You know, we've said before. It's our moral responsibility to get as many of these people out as possible. One of the problems, of course, is we've waited too long to do that. And so at the moment, we don't have the air bases we had in various parts of the country where we controlled, which were an easier way to get people out of other you know, provincial capitals and other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I keep on saying we're coming back to the same situation. Uh, what's going to happen in Afghanistan is going to be bad. There's no question about it. Um, but no one was willing to do anything any the other direction. I mean, both President Trump and President Biden have more or less taken the same the same path when it's come to Afghanistan and said that, you know, this number of years, 20 years is enough and we can't be there forever. I wish I could say that I agree with it completely because I don't. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I can't honestly say that, you know, how long, you know, what the solution is. The mistake probably was way back when, when we went to war with Iraq, instead of finishing off the Taliban back in 2001, 2002, before we got involved in Iraq. At that point, maybe we could have finished off the Taliban, and if we put all our effort only into Afghanistan, maybe we could have um, built a more stable uh, state in Afghanistan. But we took on too much, tried at the same time to deal with Afghanistan and Iraq. Tried to rebuild both countries at the same time, and that was beyond our ability. Yeah,
1: lessons learned. Let's hope. Uh, so let's move to Belarus.
2: So Belarus, look, Belarus is the last um, great dictatorship in, in Europe. i not talking about Russia, obviously, with Putin, but the last of the Eastern European great dictatorships. Uh, the guy has been in, been there for 25, 30 years at this point. It came back to the world stage today. Because one of the Belarusian Olympic, uh, I don't know if she's a star or not, but one of the athletes said some negative things about the government. And the Belarus Security Services then kidnapped her to the airport Mm -hmm. and were planning to repatriate her against her will to Belarus. Um, Luckily, the Japanese stepped in, and it looks like she's being granted asylum somewhere. It's not clear where, but no one's allowing the Belarusians to take her out of the country against her will. But that just shows, you know, remember what they did was two months ago where they forced down a commercial airliner that was flying over Belarus so that they could take off a dissident and they put him on trial and God knows what's happened to him at this point. We've lost track of it. And, you know, one terrible thing happens after another with this this guy and we sort of lose track of the one that took place before.
1: Mark, how old is he?
2: What? How old is he? I think in his sixties. not late sixties, I think.
1: Young guy then. So let's move to yeah, young guy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's 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 move to uh, uh, another startling situation in Myanmar.
2: Right. So the Myanmar, you know, we had what was a democracy there. The military came in and said they were saving the country and they were taking over the government. And now they've made it very clear that the military government is going to stay in power for at least another two years, which two years could be twenty years as far as anyone is concerned. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's sad because there was a democracy forming there; there had been democratic, but the military doesn't didn't want to be out of power. And we've seen you know we've seen that in various parts of the world over the last forty years, but um, this was. Um, this hadn't happened recently, let's put it this way, and it's continuing, and I think we've sanctioned them and everything else, but they don't really care.
1: Mm-hmm. Apparently so, there, um, there is some sort of negotiation going on with a with a uh, third-party group or with a moderator that the uh, military's approved of. Now, I don't have the details here in front of me, so I apologize. But uh, Maybe there is some hope to uh, uh, negotiate, but to your point, I mean, they, they put it off until 2023, I think it is. Uh, that could Great. that could be 2033 by the time this is done.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one other thing we should talk about, which I didn't mention, is Hong Kong. Terrible events taking place in Hong Kong now as well, where um, the first person charged under the security laws violation, well, basically a protest, got nine years in jail. And so that's harsh to say the least. Mm-hmm. And there's also now talk of stopping people in hong kong from leaving you know shades of the berlin wall or the equivalent Mm they're in so we'll see where that goes but um, i know there's special legislation in the u.s congress right now to give uh... people in hong kong special visas temporary work visas in the united states that the british have done the same Um, it's time to get all that wonderful talent in hong kong out of there if they want to leave and a lot of them do want to leave at this point
1: well, we've had such an exodus from Hong Kong already. Even over the last decade, people who just the uh, the fear of what might happen has led to a lot of people leaving there, taking their businesses out of Hong Kong. Uh, so, uh, but right now it looks like that things are really closing down.
2: Right, and we sh- we should be the people who who benefit from that. If more people from Hong Kong come to the United States, absolutely, it's all the it's all the better for the United States. Educated uh, people who believe in democracy. Um, Successful, many of them, business and everything else, will only help the U.S. economy.
1: Uh, one thing that uh, that's going on is the in China is the uh, closing down or the uh, the technology businesses are, are delisting them or
2: right. So that's the interesting thing in terms of what they've done to Alibaba and a bunch of other of the high tech companies. They've come to the conclusion, it seems, the Communist Party that uh, they've all become too powerful and they're going to rein them in. Uh, but you know, that's a question of, you know, what are they doing to their own future, um, because it's those companies that were gonna provide um the Chinese with quote unquote global dominance in certain areas. Without them and without the entrepreneurial spirit that was driving them, um you know, China may not be as successful. I mean someone said to me the other day and he says it's going out on a limb here and people won't agree with him, but China's over at this point. I've heard uh, the, the same thing. From China is now, it's a, it's an extreme, but there's something to be said for that, because, you know, there was always this discussion, and it goes all the way back to the question, can a country really uh, succeed economically without a free political system? And, you know, that was what happened in the Soviet Union, you know, why the Soviet Union collapsed, and the reason why they let pro strike take place, the military, because they knew they needed software programmers and things like that. And... The only way to do that was to give some freedom. The Chinese, until now, have successfully had this dual model where they've given people total economic freedom, mm-hmm. but in return, they've given them no political freedom. And what's interesting is instead of what we would have thought would have brought the system down, which would be these economically successful people demanding political freedom, it's the party itself, the Communist Party that controls the country, that has suddenly become fearful of the power. Even if they're not, even if they haven't been exercising it from a political standpoint, of these companies, mm-hmm. and that will may bring down, not bring down in a sense of the fall of the com- country, but it it blunts the successful uh, forward movement of the Chinese yeah. economy in very serious ways, and I think um, we're going to see that.
1: Yeah. Another and thing now that we that's have to exploit it. yeah, another thing that's has happened is they've opened up. In fact, uh, they're starting now. Put pu- uh, pushing. A multi-child family, and uh, which is kind of the canary in the coal I wonder if it's too late for this policy. In other words, that you know, they they literally are going to have a shrinking population, which is going to, they're going to have more old people to support, and so forth.
2: Right. Well, they already have a shrinking population. They they've already peaked, um, and you know, they they went from one child to two child about um, eight seven or eight years ago. But as we've seen in most advanced Asian economies. People aren't choosing to have the two children or three children. Look what's happened in Japan. Mm-hmm. The average average size of a Japanese family are three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, that's why the, Ch- the Japanese have had this tremendous problem in terms of aging population. China has the same situation. So uh, China has a real problem with that. The United States also is starting that for the first time. We've dropped below two. Um, Part of that has to do with the fact that we've cut down our immigration.
1: Yeah. We've also and had a re- our a reduced uh, lo- life longevity. Uh, longe- our longevity has shr- shrunk here in the last couple of years, so, which is another... Well, last
2: year we've lost the... You know, because of COVID, we lost a whole year in terms of our, our longevity. Yeah. But, uh, again, immigrants, wherever they come from, first and second generation all tend to have large families. Yeah. And that's what's been driving American uh, demographic growth over the last um, 100 years, basically. Yeah, Interesting. And um, by cutting back immigration, we're also cutting back the first and second generation, you know, this year, next year, and 10 years from now.
1: Absolutely.
2: And uh, we need to understand the implications of that. Uh, You know, those people say, you know, less people is better. Some environmentalists might say that. But in terms of the economy... Economies grow when population grows.
1: Yeah, Malthusians uh, believe that also, which is kind of a scary thought.
2: Right, well, Malthusian has not been proven, thankfully, has not been proven correct at least over the last hundred years.
1: That's exactly right. Mark Sherman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I strongly encourage you uh, to check it out. Mark, always interesting commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo. He is the policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, our United States Senator Rick Scott. Right now we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the policy correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Brad, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Hey, good morning.
1: Good morning, Brad. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
3: It is the oldest free market think tank in the world, uh, or at least definitely in the United States. Uh, and we focus on explaining to people how capitalism and free markets are better than socialism and big government.
1: Absolutely. And just reminding me, you wrote a column about, uh, Oh, by the way, the website is fee.org, F-E-E dot org. Uh, it reminded me of the uh, policy that we had in place to uh, put a uh, hiatus on evictions of people uh, during during COVID. And uh, it looks like uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the chickens are going to come home to roost.
3: Yeah, this was one of the worst policies of the entire pandemic. The federal government, actually just the CDC, the director of the CDC, who is not elected, he's just some bureaucrat. He unilaterally passed a rule citing some random federal law that did not actually authorize this that basically seized every rental property in America because it said you couldn't evict tenants if they stopped paying. So, of course, lots of people stopped paying and so you essentially have thousands of thousands of people's property occupied and seized by the government without compensation and the whole thing is, is really an unconstitutional power grab. And it it, it just it finally expired uh, on Saturday. Yeah. Or actually, yeah, maybe Sunday, because August 1st. But now they're trying to expand it again.
1: You know, Brad, uh, to me, it seems to me uh, people can make up their own minds about their own property. You don't want to lose a tenant just hey, maybe we can work this out. Let's figure out something, you know, without getting the government involved and having a one-size-fits-all to to solve a problem or deal with a problem. Now they just kick the can down the road. And as I understand it, the average amount of back back rent is about $9,300 per tenant.
3: Yeah, they create a disaster. This is, doesn't even make sense from the perspective of the government because I do have sympathy for people who lost their jobs because of lockdowns and couldn't pay their rent. Sure. Of course I do. But this is like if instead of giving people money for food stamps, we said, you can just go into the grocery store, fill up a cart, and just leave. It's It's a chaotic way to approach policy. So, If we were going to do anything, it should have been targeted support where you're paying the rent of certain select people who truly were hurt by lockdowns. Even that would be disputable, but it would make a lot more sense than this. What this has done is actually, and I've interviewed some landlords and renters for my reporting on this issue, you actually have some landlords who are leaving their rental properties empty vacant because if they rent it out Mm -hmm. there's no guarantee they can get money yeah and they'll just have somebody occupying it and they'll have to pay the utilities and they'll have to do upkeep on it and they'll be bound by all sorts of laws uh but now that it is finally lapsed there's a total of i believe about 21 billion in unpaid rent that's built up the government's created this problem so one of three things has to happen either a ton of renters who are going to go bankrupt and be thrown out or thousands of landlords who are actually middle-class and working-class many of them they're not all rich or big corporations right uh will be left in the lurch or we're going to be screwed over as taxpayers and left with the bill
1: that's right absolutely brad well i also want to talk to you about what's going on with the uh, variant uh, the delta variant now that uh it looks like they're starting to threaten closing down schools mass shutdowns all kinds of things any thoughts
3: yeah the delta delta variant of COVID 19 uh, is prompting a lot of places i live just outside of washington dc in the suburbs in virginia and in washington dc they've now reinstituted a full mask mandate indoors uh over this even though more people are dying from homicide in Washington, D.C., because the police don't do their jobs and the city's chaotic, uh, than COVID. So we have this this panic over Delta variant uh, of COVID-19. But when you actually look at it, I have in front of me a graph of daily confirmed COVID-19 deaths per million people. Mm -hmm. We are at the bottom of a long downward trend. We haven't had this few deaths since just about the start of the pandemic, March 1st or to April of 2020. Mm. Um, So all this panic is because, yes, you do have lots of more COVID cases popping up. However, people who are truly at danger from COVID, like elderly folks, for example, most of them have been vaccinated. So they're not actually among these cases. These cases are mostly young people or people who don't have the vaccine, and they're not actually resulting in in very many deaths. So they're trying to shut down parts of society again and restrict our freedoms over a crisis that isn't really a crisis at all.
1: You know, it's kind of interesting, Brad, that this is happening just before school is supposed to be opening, and needless to say, the mainstream media is all in in terms of fanning the... uh, flames of fear, so we have a pandemic of fear as much as we have any any sort of a virus pandemic.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. And fear is one of the biggest tools that that they use to try to control us and to try to get us to sacrifice our freedoms. In my opinion, there's no longer any case for any sort of pandemic restriction at all, because anybody out there has the choice to get vaccinated if they would like to i chose to do so i believe that it's safe and effective i think it should be everybody's choice but if everyone has the choice to go get the vaccine there's no externality here right if Mm -hmm. people choose not to that's their right that's their choice but we shouldn't be shutting down society anymore for any of this at all because it's now just a, a matter of personal decision and choice and risk.
1: And, and managing that risk, you know, if you've got a suppressed uh, immune system, and I mean, obviously your behavior is going to be different than if you're young and uh, strong and so forth. You you know, you know don't necessarily have to respect the risks involved with COVID so, as much anyhow. So I agree with you 100%, Brian. It's kind of like pricing theory. Just let the free market work and people make good decisions for themselves.
3: Yeah, completely. Um, and here's the problem with, with these government mandates, right, is that you have bureaucrats trying to make one-size-fits-all rules for different people, but different rules don't make sense for different people because different people have different levels of risk, different situations. Right. If you are a 70-year-old person with a, a immunosuppressed uh, condition, you should be taking very different measures and making very diff- different decisions than a 24-year-old in good health, such as myself. Yeah. So that's why we need to decentralize this. It's There's no role for the government in this anymore give people, we've given people the resources, and we need to trust them to make their own decisions and evaluations.
1: So well said, Brad Palumbo. Again, policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. By the way, if there's a young person in your life, high school or college age, have them check out the website and and get involved. It's really a great organization, fee.org, F-E-E.org. Brad, always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, our own United States Senator, Rick Scott. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You suffer from joint pain in your Which Bob? My pleasure. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain.
0: Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just reminding you, it's our 10th anniversary of doing the Bob Harden Show on the internet, and it's been quite a ride. Just enjoyed it so much and appreciate your uh, patronizing the show. Uh, the show is brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. Uh, let me see if this is a uh, Senator Scott. We had a little trouble well that was kind of exciting uh, the uh, senator we had trouble getting he was connecting somehow just went to a disconnect so in any event uh, I'll, we'll arrange for the senator scott to come on another time because we have a lot to talk about anyhow so anyhow we're, we're on the show for uh, 10 years now and just really appreciate your patronage of the bob Harden show want to remind you that or maybe you don't know that uh, there's a press conference tomorrow Uh, The education of our children is critical to our future success as a nation. A critical race theory doesn't teach future generations that they can aspire to achieve the American dream. Rather, this radical ideology suppresses our nation's history and further perpetuates the false narrative that America is a systemically racist country. That, according to Representative uh, Byron Donalds, enforcing this discriminatory ideology upon impressionable children will only cause further division and hatred As concerned parents and children, we must unite against state-sanctioned racism in our public schools. There's also a statement by Representative uh, Rommel, State Representative Rommel. As our children uh, prepare to go back to school, it's time to stop the divide. Schools need to get back to teaching English, math, history, and civics, not critical race theory. And then our Collier County Commissioner uh, McDaniel, uh, Bill McDaniel, said it's incumbent upon us parents that our education system does not perpetuate racism. We should all work together to remain abreast of all these trends. So this is going to be tomorrow at 10 a.m. It's going to be at the Collier County Public Schools at 7557 Osceola Trail. That's in Naples at 34109. And again, it's going to be Congressman Byron Donalds, State Representative Bob Rommel, as well as Bill McDaniels, Cuyahoga County Commissioner, will be there as well. So I hope you make it a point to attend, and uh, it's going to be very informative. Well, the National Police Association Lobbying Group has said that the House hearing in the, in the uh, January 6th Capitol incident is politically motivated, urging Congress instead to investigate left-wing riots that left numerous officers injured last year. That sounds like a better idea, doesn't it? Association spokesperson Betsy Brantner-Smith Said in an interview that Congress should hear testimonials from thousands of officers who were injured during the demonstrations, riots, arson, and other violence last year following the death of George Floyd. During the first hearing for the House Select Committee on January the sixth, the breach. Four police officers offered testimony saying that individuals who entered the Capitol made specific threats against them. People need to see that the police officers go through horrible things, and January sixth was a horrible thing for some of those officers. uh, But quite frankly. I find the whole January 6th commission, frankly, a dog and pony show. It doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, this according to uh, Smith from Fox News. Later, Smith questioned why the federal government hasn't uh, provided more information about the shooting death of Ashley Babbitt, one of the several Trump supporters who died during the incident or was actually murdered, or raised questions about uh, video footage on Capitol Hill police officers' interactions with demonstrators on January the 6th. Apparently, there's... Hundreds and hundreds of videos that have not been available, likely because they just uh, exonerated or quit those that are calling, saying this is an insurrection. Myself, like millions of Americans, sat there watching the testimony thinking, wait, where are the police officers who appeared, appeared to let some of the protesters in, she asked. Where's the police officer who shot Ashley Babbitt? In fact, why aren't we talking about Ashley Babbitt? I mean, there's so much more here, she said. On July the 27th, uh, one of the testifying officers, Daniel Hodges, who works in the Metropolitan Police Department, recounted being told, you will die on your knees. Huh. Hodges said he was kicked in the chest and struck with something heavy in the head head as other officers and he clashed with a crowd near the Capitol. But Smith suggested the injuries those officers suffered likely paled in comparison to the numerous officers who had been injured during riots last year. We have a Las Vegas police officer who is still paralyzed from the Black Lives Matter riots that she said. We have thousands of police officers around the country who are retiring because of post-traumatic distress disorder and because of the riots. The 2020 riots, we can't just say the whole George Floyd thing was bad and that's what cops have to deal with. And then watch these four weeping men talk about their experiences, ignoring thousands and thousands of police officers, ignoring their feelings and their experiences and their injuries, she said. A recent analysis from the Epic Times in late June showed that the major metropolitan police departments are struggling with hiring new recruits and dealing with their increase in retire- retirements or officers quitting amid rhetoric rhetoric and activism. Violent crimes such as murders, rapes, and robberies have also spiked in most major cities. Last month the police uh, Portland Police Bureau's riot squad quit en masse After one of its officers was indicted on an assault charge, the arrest stemmed from violent demonstrations that roiled the Oregon City last year. It's heartbreaking, Smith said. I have some cops who would rather go back to Iraq than continue to work on the street just because of the massive amount of blood and bodies and everybody there, they deal with, uh, and people they don't see. The office of uh, Representative Benny Thompson, a, Dem- a Democrat from Mississippi, head of the Select Committee, didn't respond to a request for comment by the press. So, this is so interesting. I, you know, Basically, the recommendation here is, why don't we talk about what happened with Black Lives Matter, all those summer riots. Remember seeing the, the photos of this as a peaceful demonstration with buildings burning in the background? That makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. We should be investigating that and not what happened on January the 6th. What happened on January 6th, quite frankly, in my opinion, and I don't have proof of this, but it was orchestrated by Nancy Pelosi. She asked those officers to stand down. She didn't bring in reinforcements. She suggested that they open the gates to let the people up. She wanted to orchestrate and stage what would look like an insurrection so that they would splash on President Donald Trump. It's failing. People aren't believing it, just like people aren't believing necessarily that the uh, uh, current president of the United States, Joe Biden, was elected uh, uh, legally and uh, honestly. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry, Rick Scott couldn't join us. We just couldn't get that connection going. He was there. <laughs> sure. He's frustrated as, as I am as well. So uh, we'll v- arrange for another visit with uh, Senator Scott at another time. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. We're going to be visiting with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen, find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And Linda Harden will be joining us. She writes greetings from paradise. She's also my wife. And uh, we'll look forward to hear her thoughts as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.